Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Sally Helgerson is cited in Forbes as the world's premier expert on women's leadership. She's a best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach. And for the last 30 years, her mission has been to help women recognize, articulate, and act on their greatest strengths and help organizations build more inclusive cultures. She's been named number six on the Global Gurus list of top leadership experts and as the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith number one coach for women leaders. And her most recent book, How Women Rise, co-authored with Marshall Goldsmith, examines the 12 behaviors most likely to get in the way of successful women as they seek to move to higher levels. It's a bestseller, and Ruby Vesley and I are excited to have our conversation with Sally and to learn more about and how we can overcome, in my case, most of the 12 behaviors. <laughs> so Sally, welcome. Oh, wonderful, Mariah. Ruby, it's wonderful to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, but I actually want you to take you back to the beginning because part of People First is the leadership journeys that we are all on. And so I'm curious, when you were a wee lass, when you were still at elementary school, what did you think what you would be doing? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be two complementary things. One was I wanted to be a private detective. I was deeply inspired by Nancy Drew, uh, those books, and her adventures and mysteries. And in fact, I used to go downtown on my own with a sort of a bucket purse that had all kinds of supplies in case I got I, I got caught up in a case, you know, flat <laughs> candy bar in case I was tied up in a cellar and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And I took notes on people. I would identify somebody and then I would follow them around and take notes on them, which really had a lot to do with my later career uh, because I've been writing about people for the last 50 years and I take notes on them just in the same way I did then. And so along with that ambition was the desire also to be at that time a mystery writer. So I saw myself okay. as a and detective. All right. So what was the pivot point then from sleuth to women's leadership expert being a passion? Well, the common theme was always writing. And I came to New York uh, City in 1968 with the ambition to be a writer. I'd lost the desire to be a, a, a private sleuth by that time. And I did all kinds of writing. I did advertising writing. I did a lot of journalism, a lot of essays. And in the 1980s, I was doing speech writing for corporate executives, not political, but for, uh, for organizations. And what struck me was how poor the companies were, and they were excellent companies I worked for, but how poor they were really understanding what women had to contribute at a leadership or strategic level. So I wanted to address that. At that time, every book that was being written for women emphasized the fact that women needed to change and adapt completely in order to be successful and just basically act like a man. 
And I didn't think it was good advice. So I decided to write a book about some of America's best women leaders, how they did things. I did diary studies, which had me using my detective methods of following people around and taking notes on what they did. And uh, it became very successful in 1990. It was the first book that focused on what women had to contribute as leaders rather than how they needed to change and adapt. So people began calling me and asking me to consult with them and speak to their women's initiatives. It was very early days with that, but it sort of established me in this field. I fell in love with it and have stayed with it for the last 30 years. I love that, Sally. So you have written extensively on women's leadership, and I read this book and I loved it. I was I was telling more, like I was reading through it and I was I would read something. I'd be like, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> that's me. And I kept getting to each habit and I thought, oh, I do that one too. <laughs> yeah. So as I read your book and, and, and you've written a lot on women's leadership, what inspired you to write this book now? This book, very specifically, uh, I was a big fan of Marshall Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, which was published in 2010, big international bestseller. And I thought Marshall's overriding idea was brilliant. That is that the same habits and behaviors that can serve people early in their careers then can become a problem as they seek to move higher and move into leadership positions. But I didn't think Marshall always got the behaviors right when it came to women. He was drawn Mm. from a pretty heavily male coaching base for his research and examples. So I've been working with women. This was about 2016 where I had this idea that we should collaborate on a book. I've been working with women at that point, women leaders, for 26 years. And I had found very few who exemplified some of the habits in that book, like, you know, learn to apologize or don't always talk about how great you are, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So I suggested to Marshall, who was a a friend and colleague at that point for over 20 years, that we collaborate on a book that took the guiding idea of what got you here won't get you there, but looked at the habits and behaviors specifically that were problematic for women moving into leadership positions. So uh, Ruby already shared that when we were reading it, we own them. I wear them almost as a badge of honor, but I also recognize how those have held me back. So as you narrowed down the list to the 12 that made this first cut, which of the 12 is a two-part question. Which of the 12 are your most favorite in terms of stories of women who've taken it and let them go? But also which of the 12 are yours? I think that which of the 12 are my favorite in terms of how women have let them go would have to be habit two, expecting others to spontaneously notice and value your contributions. Mm. Habit three, overvaluing expertise. Mm. And and habit uh, six, uh, seven, the perfection trap. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, as far as I'm concerned, I think that throughout my at various stages in my career, 
I have probably exhibited every one of these habits, kind of except for the disease to please. I don't have that that much. But I would say every other one has, uh, uh, the other 11, I can identify with at periods in my career. But I think the one that I particularly learned from and benefited from uh, exploring was the habit on building rather than leveraging relationships, because I was always one of those women who was constantly seeking to build more and closer relationships with people, but felt unable to ask people uh, for help either with tactical career-related issues or, uh, I mean, tactical job-related or strategic career-related issues. And interestingly, my big breakthrough in being able to do that was the day that I approached Marshall and said, I would like to collaborate with you on this book as partners. It was a big ask, uh, and uh, and he went with it. And it just taught me the power of being able to suggest something and engage somebody. And the fact, the extent to which he saw it as a win for him as well as me mm. really showed me the power of leverage. So I'm curious, when it comes to that one and the leveraging, it's the power of the ask. That's what you've just shared. So what was happening for you on the inside that was keeping you stuck and stopped you asking? Well, I think what keeps a lot of women stuck, number one, I felt like I want these people to know that I really value them as friends and they're, I'm not trying to use them. And mm-hmm. number two, a corollary of that was I don't want anyone to think I'm a user or think that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so those were the, the kinds of things that were holding me back. I was trying to demonstrate that I was a very nice and very disinterested woman, a woman who who wasn't really putting that much emphasis on what would be helpful to my own career, my own leadership, and my own development. And I was trying to sort of brand myself as a wonderful person that way. Okay. You know what? It's not that helpful. One of the big turnarounds for me, I was doing a program uh, um, probably about 2014. And there had been, I shouldn't have said the name, but uh, I'll say a large financial institution. And there, they had uh, given a really comprehensive uh, assessment or questionnaire throughout the organization. And one of the things that they found out was that people preferred to have male bosses. And the main reason that they did is that they saw those, they saw the men as being more advantageous to their own careers because of that kind of being able to establish sort of uh, reciprocal relationships with them and because of men being quite comfortable in giving and trading favors. And so I realized there that um, that women who were trying to show how wonderful they were by not being in any way self-interested or playing the game were really undermining their own value to their own colleagues. Mm. That's so interesting, Sally. How do you think the narrative has changed since then? I don't think it's 
with as regard to that specific behavior, mm-hmm. I don't think it's probably changed that much. I think the narrative, the, the 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 two habits that the narrative has changed most on, well, three actually, are reluctance to claim your achievements and expecting others to spontaneously notice what you contribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that women, especially younger women, come into the workplace with a greater understanding that in order to get some place anywhere, they're going to have to represent what they've done. They're going to have to talk about what they aspire to do. They're going to have to talk about their contributions. So I think that one is getting those two, which sort of go together. I think they're getting better. And I also think the minimizing is getting better. There's been a lot written about women apologizing and, you know, physically minimizing their body language, some of Amy Cuddy's work, or, or just the, you know, the, the using all the, the sort of minimizing words like just and only, and this will only take one minute and that sort of stuff. So I see women more aware of that now and more cognizant that if they do that, they need to change it. It's interesting because I, I remember I'm ever grateful to an early boss of mine who took me to one side because I, I had that habit of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it was, it was a filler word, much like just and like and so that we hear so often today. Yeah. But a lot of these can also be overplayed strengths because um, being generous and wanting to help others succeed can slip into being a people pleaser. Um, Celebrating our successes or my achievements can be misinterpreted, especially, at least I've been brought up to believe, as arrogance when a woman does it. And so how do you walk that tightrope of stepping into your truth but not stepping on others' toes in doing so? Well, I think that the most important thing, and this is something I've really learned since the book came out, doing a lot, a lot of workshops on it, formerly live, now virtual, is that what is really most helpful for women is to be aware that their primary job is not managing everybody's perceptions about them, but being very clear about what it is they intend to contribute and acting on that. And we often get into trouble because we start overthinking and managing perceptions. Oh, that person thought I was arrogant or, you know, somebody, I mean, I had this happen. I've said this before. I've given this story before, but early in my career, when I was still as a speechwriter, I remember going to a meeting. I was the youngest uh, person there, the most junior, the only woman. And it was, you know, big, powerful guys around me. And I had an idea that came from something they were talking about. So I volunteered and shared it. And then as I was leaving the room, my boss's boss came up behind me and said in a really nasty tone, he said, "Uh, boy, you sure aren't afraid to share your opinion, are you? In a really, you know, a way that was was very cutting. And I thought, okay, I'm I don't have much. I don't have much of a career here. But, you know, a month I didn't. I don't know what got into me because usually I would have said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or something like that. I just said, no, I don't. I didn't apologize, but I didn't say it defensively. I didn't go like I have a perfect right. And I just let it go. I said, you know, no, I don't. 
And about a month later, I was in a room and he was in an adjoining room with a co-worker. And I heard him say to her, you know, like about Sally, she really uh, says her opinion. She tells you what she thinks. And I thought, you know, the only reason that happened is because I gave him the space and time to get used to me instead of trying to manage and placate uh, and live in fear because he might temporarily have, you know, an opinion of me that wasn't ideal. And it taught me a real lesson. And I think it's a lesson that that women in general can can learn from if somebody even if somebody thinks well yeah you're you're pretty arrogant aren't you or hey you got a high opinion of yourself whatever that it just it it doesn't do to overthink that maybe they're testing you maybe they're mm-hmm. a very competitive person guys talk like this all the time with each other i mean we always think it's reserved for us but they're always you know beating up on each other in a certain way or it's common. And so, you know, they could be testing, they could be competitive. Um, They really could be shocked, you know, they could have placed a high value on women who are really soft spoken and, you know, kind of hold back. Uh, That's not our problem. That's, that's their concern. So I think that little bit awareness that what is my intention? What am I trying to achieve? What am I trying to contribute? What's the most important thing about what I want to do here? And then focus on that rather than, well, what are other people thinking of what I'm doing? And Sally, that feels aligned to me also to habits 11 and 12, the rumination and, and having that radar and so that's one of my habits that I love. 11 and 12, I'm tied very closely to those. <laughs> what would you say is a first step to move forward and, and get better at that habit or stop doing that habit, I guess? Well, they're, they're different habits. Let me talk yeah. about rumination first. Yeah. Um, rumination is, is often a consequence of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And it's a consequence of overvaluing expertise. And it's certainly a consequence of having an overactive radar Mm -hmm. so with rumination that's going over and over mistakes you made or you know uh, things you wish you hadn't done sort of getting going down this spiral because of it and chewing over why did I say that when will I learn you know giving yourself a hard time what I found to be effective is very very shallow and behavioral tricks like putting up reminders your mind gets triggered because you feel like oh that was a mistake yes but what you need to do is you need to break we all make mistakes everybody makes 10 mistakes a day what we need to do is break that that little cycle where that trigger so that when we do make a mistake we go you know huh made a mistake oh well well that that didn't work out you know, in, in with sort of a light touch, let it go. Yeah. It, you know, sort of the meditative thing of when your mind wanders, just go thinking, okay, come back to center. You need a little bit of a trick to bring yourself back because that's what it is. You want to cut that awareness off at the pass. And that's why I've always found, you know, putting up little signs is helpful. I put up, oh, well, because, you know, Marshall is Mr. Oh, well, you know, oh, well, I screwed up. Oh, well, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't call the head of, you know, of um, 
<laughs> I don't know, it, you know, the, the CEO of Boeing back, I forgot to call him. Oh, it's a bad idea. Uh, so, you know, he always says, oh, well, so I put up on my son, on my wall, a sign. Oh, well, oh, well, oh, well, to, to try to remind myself that I will screw up. Mm-hmm. I will make mistakes. And that when I do that, the most helpful thing is going to be, oh, well, now I had a great experience. I was in Google in January and, uh, this, uh, doing a, a, you know, an in-person program, which was so much fun. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, I have to tell you something about, oh, well, I said, what? She said, well, I loved it. She said, and I'm a big ruminator. So I put mm-hmm. stickies all around my house that say, oh, well, everywhere <laughs> around my house. Said, oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. She said, so whenever I, I say it all the time, you know, I'm reminded, I say it all the time. She said, so the other day, my two-year-old came into the kitchen with a huge bowl of yogurt and she tripped in the door and spilled it all over. And she just looked up at me and she went, oh, well, <laughs> I'm so cute. And she said, I decided to myself, I am raising the next generation of strong women. Yes. And, uh, so I think that that rumination is really um really responds to these little uh, mantras almost or reminders yeah it's interesting you're talking there it sounds like you need a sense of humor when dealing with these and you talked earlier on about the male perspective and I grew up 15 years in commercial finance was my first career so I remember being told you know it's not personal it's just business and my whole ethos now is no no business is personal relationships matter so it is turning on its head but I'm curious as to what sort of reaction and response you've had from your male fans and those who've read the book well that has been so interesting and so unexpected the day the book came out uh, which was in April of uh, 2018 I had um, seven radio shows and podcasts scheduled. I was just in a New York hotel room doing media nonstop. And I remember about the third or fourth one was a male host. And he said, I need to tell you that I, I read these. I read this book, he said, and I identify with at least four of those habits. And that was the start. I cannot tell you, you know, the, the guy who headed artificial intelligence at Google to, uh, you know, engineers and accountants. I have heard over and over and over from men who say that they identify with some of these habits and behaviors. And it surprised me. Uh, I certainly heard from a lot of, for example, African-American and Latino men in the U.S., or men in, a, for example, Japanese culture who say that they strongly identify with it. And as a result, I've kind of come to think of it as the behaviors that got left out of Marshall's original book, because it was so drawing on this uh, coaching base of his, which is very, very successful male CEOs mm-hmm. or kind of like the world is my oyster. Nothing's going to stop me. And so I think of this as sort of the, the behaviors for the rest of us. That doesn't mean that they don't have special application for women and bite us in distinctive ways. But I, I have been fascinated by how many men do identify with them. And the other thing that's been interesting for men is how they feel this book really helps them to, to get better at engaging 
and motivating and retaining women in their companies because mm-hmm. and the women that they work with because when they the behaviors are so clear to them and they see them and acted by the women so they feel they're much better able to to mentor them i did a program i remember in las vegas and about the first year the book came out and it was at a, the construction super conference so you can imagine the proportion of men who were there yeah. and i was doing a program on women's leadership and so i went to my session and it was a, a breakout room, so it was about 300 people, and it was about 65% men. And I could not believe that these men were all signing up for this. So I said, I'm really fascinated by the proportion of men here. What? Why are you here? What, what made you sign up for this? And this one guy stood up and he said, you know what? It's been a long time. I hope you're not going to waste your time building the case for why we need to really engage female talent. I think we understand that now. It said, especially in our industry, he said, but we need to get much better at knowing how to do that, knowing how, what kinds of behaviors and we can exhibit and what kind of support women need. He said, so that's what we're here, here to hear. I love that. And, you know, you mentioned during your last response uh, about women of color. Yes. And I'm thinking about my role as a coach and as a leader and, and how can we best support women of color in the context of this book and these habits? I think women of color in my experience, and I've worked with a lot of them and had a lot of and done a lot of programs. And I cannot tell you also how popular this book is in Nigeria and Ghana and other places. I'm on on Facebook Live Nigeria every other week. uh, So it really has has had an impact. But what I think is that some of these behaviors are overreactions to having had your expertise and even your right to be there question. Yes. And that we get that women in general develop these behaviors to kind of answer that. Overvaluing expertise is is a classic example. Mm-hmm. And I think that women of color tend to have that even more. They tend to have been had their expertise questioned, their right to be there questioned. Even you know, the, the idea of, you know, well, you're only here because we needed, you know, mm-hmm. the, imp- the implication that it's tokenism, which mm-hmm. women have had as well, but yeah. not as badly. So the response I've gotten from women of color is how helpful this is to them, even though they can... On one hand, it can manifest a little differently. And on others, they often feel that they may have to deal with them differently or more directly. Um, I talked earlier about managing perceptions. Yeah. And I have noticed since I started thinking about that, how often when I'm coaching a woman of color, whatever she'll say, you know, my greatest fear is being seen as an angry black woman. So I think I'm too accommodating. And there again, you're trying to manage a perception and that's mm-hmm. a, a very frightening one to try to manage. Yeah. It's interesting. 2020 has turned into the ultimate mm-hmm. leadership crucible. Yeah. We are living it personally. We're seeing the highs and lows in all aspects of our lives. Yeah. 
But I'm curious, I mean, you talk about being on Facebook Live Nigeria every week. How has 2020 impacted both your experience of sharing the message, but also impacted the priorities and how we can role model different behaviors as women in the workplace? I think 2020 is you know, going to be one of the most important years, certainly of this century. Um, First of all, I think 2020 has laid bare the enormous injustices that people have to struggle with. And it's redoubled people's commitment to trying to address that in a positive way. And what I hear, what I hear from organizations is that they need to get this. They recognize that they need to get this, that it is their problem as well as uh, you know, society's problem. So one of the one of the really big things of 2020 has been, I think, a process that's been underway for a while, partly just because of the technology, this erosion between what is business? What is society? What are the responsibilities of business? What are the responsibilities of society? How do they interconnect? What is public? What is private? Those sort of industrial era silos in which those were kept very separate have been eroding, but this year it's been sort of a whipsaw of erosion. And when you saw like uh, the CEO of PricewaterhouseCoopers, I guess they just call themselves PwC now, that he was so devastated over the shooting of a 26-year-old African-American employee in Dallas who was shot in his own home mm-hmm. by a cop who entered his own apartment and shot him. And he was so devastated by that that he, you know, went out and formed this roundtable of CEOs to address issues of racial justice at the highest levels. So I think that kind of seeing the commonalities of what we face and not saying, well, you know, business is business and society is society and, you know, business role, business only has one role and that is to, you know, it's shareholder return which was a popular saying in the 80s and 90s, which sounds pretty pathetic today. Um, The idea of only having one stakeholder rather than multi-stakeholders and not being part of society. I think that that that's been one of the most significant things. And of course, the whole work, everybody working from home is an ancillary of that, that Mm -hmm. public and private and, and, and work at home and men and women and teacher and student and um, mentor and mentee, all those divisions are, are coming into question. So Sally, I have so enjoyed our conversation. It has been amazing. I know Ruby the same. But as we come to the end of our time together, I I saw your recent video. I know you are providing virtual programming, virtual keynotes, virtual workshops, virtual coaching, as we all are. How can people who are listening learn more, not just about how women rise, but all of the resources that you've created? And how can they get in touch with you? Well, I think my my website is is probably the best resource. I have many, many, many articles, links to articles, you know, old blogs I've written and descriptions of the various kinds of work I do. 
uh, are all there. Plenty of audios, plenty of videos and uh, links to all my books. So that's really the best resource for learning about my work. And I'm very easy to contact. Um, Sally at sallyhelgeson.com. My website has a contact button and I just got a, you know, a contact message five minutes before we, we started our, our program. So it, it's very reliable. And also I, uh, I connect with people on LinkedIn. So, uh, if you send me an invitation on LinkedIn, I'm, uh, I'm always going to respond. Sally, you're amazing. I'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes below this video. Ruby, final thoughts from you. Just thank you, Sally, for the work that you've done. Um, again, when I read the book, I resonated so much with the content, not only for myself as a leader, but for the women that I coach. And I've already recommended your book several times since I've read it to my coaches. You. So you have great ripple effects in the world, ripple effects. So thank Very you. Very grateful for those words. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.